It's good to be a blessing to one another, right? It's good to be here. It's good to learn God's word. And I'm excited to pass on what I've learned uh, from Genesis chapter 16. It's where we'll be this morning. One thing that we emphasize with the youth, uh, we even did it this Thursday, is we talk about surrender. Now, when I grew up, and I'm sure when some of you grew up, we had if you just give your life to Jesus. Well, that is an act of surrender, but what we're talking about more is an act of felty. Do you know what that is? It's when a knight, um, he would be an independent knight, and he goes up to a duke or he goes up to the king, and he swears felty to the king. Well, when he does that, he goes down on one knee, right? So he would go down on one knee like this and put his head down. So he's not watching the king. Because he's put his trust in the king, the king can either execute him at that point because he's offered him his neck, or he can uh, come alongside him and lift him up and say, rise, you are now my servant, go and serve the kingdom. So that's, in a sense, what we're talking about this morning. We are, we are talking about surrender in a way of felty, in the way that we are giving our allegiance to the Lord to walk in him. And that leads us into supplication. Well, what's supplication? It's that walk. It's walking with Jesus um, to be like Jesus um, because we learned those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's 1 John 2.6. That's not in your bulletin. That's a freebie this morning. Hmm. Man, Craig, I thought since you'd be back, I might get at least a sympathy laugh, but uh, that's, thanks. I appreciate it. As we move along, uh, we'll go to Genesis chapter 16. We're going to read the first five verses. And this is the birth of Ishmael, uh, the beginning of Israel's problems in a sense. But um, God does bless Hagar through this. So there's some things to be weeded out and, and weave through on this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have, have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai's, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. Okay, that's important right there. Who gave it to Abram? Sarai gave it to Abram as a wife. This happens 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So this is 10 years after chapter 15. And it'll be 14 years before uh, the promised one Isaac is born. Okay, So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. Put my servant in your arms, but now that she's pregnant and treats me with contempt, the Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Now, as I look at this passage, I say, Well, Sarah's the one that's in wrong, right? Because she's the one that gave, right? Well, Let's dig into the female mind this morning, men, because I've learned that is not quite the case on how this is supposed to play out here, okay? 
So, yeah, CJ's, CJ's like, oh, I've been there. Uh, Lord, let me help you out. Let me help you out. You have a blessing that you want to give to us. Let me help you out by providing someone maybe that could bear children or something. That's, that's what Abram's in mind of, and so he goes for that, right? Uh, well, have you ever done that before? You ever tried to help the Lord out in his work? It's like, well, if we just cut a couple corners here and there, there, now I got a nice piece of pie. It's like, yeah, you do have a nice piece of pie. I was going to give you the whole thing, but you only get a piece now. Uh, that, a lot of times that's what happens. And when we try to help the Lord out in his blessings, uh, we reduce the blessing that we're going to receive. Um, or maybe it would look better asked like this. Have you ever given the Lord advice on your life? Lord, if you just did this, it would be great. It'd all work out if we just had this. Or if I had a scenario, you know, if I just had a million dollars, Lord, life would be so much better. Well, how'd that work out for uh, King Solomon when he had all the riches, all the women, and all the uh, power in the land? He barely made it to heaven. Scraped by, um, used his wisdom and surrendered back to the Lord, right? Or maybe, have you just thought, well, this is a good idea. I'll just do it. It must be what's right. Uh, and when we justify our actions, usually we're walking in sin. When we have to justify our actions before the Lord, we are usually walking in sin. I believe this is what we have here with Sarai and Abram. Sarai tells Abram, I can't have kids, so we're going to have kids through my handmaiden. Go marry her. Now, Abram should have recognized this as a trap, yet he did not. Because what does every woman want? Every wife wants to be the apple of her husband's eye. Um, every girlfriend wants to be the apple of the boyfriend's eye. And men do not walk into the trap like, oh, well, you can just go do this. And they're like, well, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to refuse sex, so... <laughs> I'm going to go do what I want then, right? No, no. You say no. You don't go there. Um, if your wife, that's just like asking, if your wife asks you, if you weren't married, who do you think you would end up with? You don't answer that question. I would end up with you because we just wouldn't be married. Uh, we'd be best friends all our life. We just wouldn't have anything else to go with it. Good answer, okay? Are you writing this down, guys? I don't see any pens out, all right? I'm... <laughs> I'm giving you the, the book here. All right. Um, so where, where's some of the best marriage advice that you can find? It's in Song of Solomon. Okay? SOS is Song of Solomon. Men, your wife wants to be your pinnacle of beauty and should be. Not only do they want to be, they should be. You should not compare your wife to anyone else. Well, if you had this like so-and-so did or this like this or if you did this like this or you did like, No. No, that's comparing your wife to other women. You do not do that. Your wife is the pinnacle of beauty. And this is how you state that to your wife. You start off with, to me, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. Right? Because if I give her a blanket statement, you're the most beautiful woman in the world, what's she going to say? Cosmopolitan says, I am not. So-and-so says I'm not. You've seen this woman on TV, and she is much more beautiful than I. And you don't say 
Oh, yeah, you're right. Never. That's when your wife is wrong, okay? It's the only time when she's trying to compare herself with you, you say, to me, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. Because you can't argue with that, right? It is your opinion, and it is important that you tell your wife that. It is important that your mindset becomes that. You find, you search for ways that your wife is that beautiful. If you look at Proverbs 31, there's a chunk in there that talks about um, a woman, a fine woman, who can, you know, who can she be compared to? And he goes through a list of different things. Maybe one day we'll do that as a sermon and things. But what you find out are all these characteristics that are fine. And he searches. He looks for those things. And then he brings those out. And he is able to tell his wife like that. So Song of Solomon 2.2 says, Like a lily among thistles is my darling among young women. He doesn't even... He says a lily among thistles. He's like, you're a whole different species. You're so much more of a wowser to me than, than all these young women. You're like a lily that's beautiful and soft uh, among thistles. Uh, and I can't go there. I remember uh, I was, we were married probably two years. And I, I said that one of the dumbest things that I've ever said in my marriage, and uh, it gets reminded me, for a while, probably, and you haven't said it in a while, but uh, I, I was like, okay, I get it. And she finally let it go a little bit, but I deserved all I got was, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I could have married just about anybody. I'm, I did not look at uh, Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 3. It says, like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among young men. Um, I sit in his delight and shade tastes his delight delicious fruit. I was not feeding my wife delicious fruit at that point in time. I was saying stupid things that came out of my mouth in my, my stupid monkey mouth in my stupid monkey mouth robot voice. Uh, that's from the book with no pictures. If you've ever read that kid's book, it's great. Your wife wants to be your one and only. She doesn't want to hear that you can, you could have married anybody. Oh yeah? What about her? <laughs> You're right. You're right. I couldn't have married her. You're right. I heard that one for a while. Um, she, she may. She may. And I probably deserve it one more time um, as well. Because your wife wants to be pursued, right? And we see it in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 8. says, Ah, I hear my lover coming. This is the woman talking. He's leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a sweet gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he is behind the wall, looking through the window, peering into the room. Now, he wasn't a peeping Tom. He was coming up to the lattice of uh, the place, and he's like, well, which one? where is she at? You know, he's trying to, he, he's getting a glimpse, and he wants to see more, right? Uh, guys always want the mystery. We always want the mystery of uh, our beautiful woman. See what I did there? I was going to see it. I made it possessive. It's very important. Remember that. Why in the world would Sarai then tell Abram to take Hagar as his wife? Why would he do that? Why would she say that? Because she wanted him to say no. OK? 
Okay? She wanted him to say, no, there's no other plan. God promised this. We are going to fulfill this promise through you. And could you imagine if he understood that and followed through, the problems that happen today would be so much less. Right? You look at 12 tribes that come out of uh, Ishmael, and they are the neighbors of Israel. And then Abram ends up, Abraham has another wife after, um, has more kids after Sarah, Sarah dies. And those nations are against him as well. They're all blessed by God. One more than others. Okay? She wanted to be chosen chosen all over again. They've been married for quite a few years now. She wanted to be chosen again. She wanted Abram to reject the offer and hold tight to her. She wanted to be fulfilled, the fulfillment of God's promise and Abram's one and only. She wanted him to pursue her. And I got to tell you, women, please, please do not be vague in this area. Okay? If we get it wrong, you're allowed, that's a good time to get a, I don't know about a two by four, but maybe a one by four and bop us upside the head. You know, no, that was the wrong answer. Step on our toe and rub it in a little bit. I'm your one and only. Remember that. And when we don't, or if they don't understand that, then send them to me and I will do the same thing. And it's like, that's how my wife reacted. Well, good, you're on the right start, right? Because that's important. We need to, our desire as men needs to be for our wife. It is very important. What if you're not married? You're not married then you need to um, wait for that special someone, right? right. And you need to make uh, your mom and your grandma feel special, right? I always do. Good, good. So, women, turn to your husbands right now and say, I want you to choose me. Always. I want you to choose me always. And that is something that should be easy for us to do. Right? We should want to choose them all, always. As you look at Hagar in this, this situation, what do we have? We have, her being, we have her ethnicity name. She's an Egyptian. Where did they just come out of? just came out of Egypt. We see this foreshadowed uh, for what's about to come. We see this also as in, um, you probably sh you're not supposed to go there, not supposed to touch those things. This is where they end up wandering in the desert, and this is the Exodus story told early in a shorter version, in my opinion. Okay, Abram looks more and more like the youth in Proverbs chapter 7. Okay? If you look at Proverbs, if you open up your book to Proverbs, you see the first nine chapters, a little bit of ten. It says, my son, listen to my commandments. Take heed of what I have to tell you. Because if you, hide, you, know, if you, if you follow them, it'll go well with you. If you don't, well, then one of the things he says is to watch out for the wayward wife. And he ponders down in, in chapter seven, he sees this youth wandering to the house of a promiscuous woman. So you think about this guy, he gets off of work at night and he's walking home and he takes the long way home. Well, why is that? Because it goes by Priscilla's house. And Priscilla's husband happens to be on vacation and she likes to spend the nights out on the porch. And sometimes 
he'll stop and talk to her, right? So how do relationships drift apart? Do they drift apart by jumping straight into bed? Sometimes. But a lot of times it happens with emotions first, right? Ladies, you tend to give emotions. You tend to give sex to give emotion. Guys tend to give emotions to get sex. That's what it comes down to. That's what I teach youth. And that's what I've seen as an example. Well, that's the case here. The husband's away. And so you see in verse 21, Proverbs 7 says, So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once. Um, your version may say, all at once he followed her. Okay? So guys, we get excited, excited, and then we can't control it anymore. So how do you get out of that situation? You don't get in the situation in the first place. Flee the evil desires of your youth, right? Stay out of there. Don't go the long way home. Take the short way home. Make your wife your pinnacle of beauty, and then you won't have to worry about Priscilla down the street. I hope there's not a Priscilla down the street. I don't <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Okay. Just kidding. Um, so he followed her all at once like an ox going to the slaughter. One, he like a stag getting caught in a trap. Two, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart like a bird flying into a snare, three, little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons. Pay attention to my words. Don't let your heart stray toward her. Your heart is the first to go. And if your heart goes, if you give your heart, your body's soon to follow. Okay? If you give your heart to your boyfriend, to your girlfriend, to uh, the neighbor down the street you're not supposed to be at. Your body is soon to follow. Okay? That's a warning. Don't wander down her pathway, for she has been the ruin of many, many men and had, have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. How is the den of death? Well, what happens when her husband comes home? What happens when your wife finds out? What happens when you don't ever want... The scorn of a woman is not something you want on, on your docket next week. So are we thinking about that, that scornful behavior from our wife? No. We're like a, an ox being led to the slaughter. All at once, we're going to run in there. Right, guys? That's how God's designed us. That's how he's wired us up. But that should be with our wife alone. This young man, his life just took a rocky turn as God's chosen one. And as Abram, we see, his life just took a rocky turn. He did not flee the evil desires of his youth. He did not ask the Lord if this was a good decision. He didn't pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And he did not call upon other people that we knew just a few chapters ago, he's trained up 318 men. He didn't go ask them for advice. He was like, well, yeah, another wife, that would be great. Let's, let's do that, and we'll see how it works. Plays dumb, plays the fool, and he walks into trouble. Only when we're walking surrendered to the Lord in obedience do we have the freedom of Christ's salvation. Okay? That way we can walk in sanctification. Let's look at 
Genesis 16, 8, uh, 6-8. Abram replied, look, she is your servant. So after the deal's done, after the uh, marriage has taken place, now he's going to try to fix it, okay? Look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. And then Sarah tried, treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road of Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. So, Abram gets to a point where he says, well, I obviously messed up. So how I'm going to fix it is we're just going to put Hagar back into her position that she was in and everything will go back to the way it was supposed to be and it's just fine like it was. I just want things how they want, they're supposed to be, right? Oh, that's so funny. Um, we didn't know Abram was a comedian, did we? Um, but men, there's one thing we know about women. If, if we don't know one thing here, here's it is. They're very complex. They think of several things at once. And they weave that together. And you don't know how things, they're going to react to things. Uh, maybe it's something from their past. Maybe it's something that they're hoping for. Maybe it's something in the now. But as it's weaved together and you start to pull on one of those strings and to... To put it back how it used to be, sometimes the whole knitting just falls apart. And I think that's Sarah's reaction in this case. And she sees what's done, and the untangled mess just falls right into Hagar's lap. I, I don't. Did Hagar have a, um, a part in this? Yeah, she probably did. But. I put most of the responsibility on uh, Abram and Sarai. They shouldn't play games with your marriage. You shouldn't play games with your marriage, folks. You don't put your marriage to the test. You let it be black and white, especially women. You got to help us out. We need black and white. Okay? Don't give us freedom. Don't let us. Um, we're broken people, right? That's why we come to church. We're broken, um, sinful people. And for now, we wouldn't have to be here. So as we pull these things apart, it didn't go back together like it used to be. And there's some brokenness that happens in this marriage for quite some time. Men, when it comes to doing the right thing, we've got to choose the right thing. Can't even get into that situation in the first place. We need to pursue godly counsel and pursue the Lord. If they are presenting you with the what, you need to know why. Abram should have asked, why? Why are you presenting me Haggai? I don't want Haggai. I want you. I want you to be the fulfillment of the promise. So we need to ask why, because she wanted to be the fulfillment of the promise, I believe. That's a shame. That's my personal opinion. But I think that's, um, probably right and so if he knew the why the what would have been easy 
I will follow you. I will walk with the Lord with you, and we will fulfill the promise. Is Sarah past the age of giving birth to kids? Probably. Probably. Haggai was probably younger, much younger than, than Sarai was. But God had a plan. I'm going to do a miracle in your life. And he comes back and says that. And I think in the next chapter, he says, Sarah's the, Sarah's the promise. Maybe it's in the next point, I think it is, actually. Pursue godly counsel. Pursue the Lord. When I go through marriage counseling... One of the things I like to have the couples do is I like to have them walk through Ephesians because first, if the first three chapters establish who God is. They establish that he has all authority, he has all the power, he has all the um, everything that we could need, ask, or want. And then we establish that God um, wants a relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ, through his grace, um, by faith. So that none of us can boast. We're all in the same playing level field, right? And then he goes and tells us how we should live. That, that comes into the application of chapter 4. And I'm going to pick it up in 17 through 19. It says, the Lord's authority, With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the, the life God gives. God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. This reminds me of how Abram had pursued Hagar. And we need to pursue the Lord. If we're pursuing the Lord, those decisions that tend to be of worldly pleasure are a little easier to understand and guard our hearts again, which is the next point. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, as a pleasing aroma to God. Guard your hearts so that we can how do you do that? I think a good defense is a good offense. So we need to imitate the Lord our God and through the example of Jesus Christ. So we need to be in their word, studying the gospels on a daily basis. Is Jesus our good teacher? Is he our rabbi? Okay, if he is our teacher, if he is our rabbi, shouldn't we be studying the life of the teacher so we know how to live? Since he set that example for us, we need to Follow that example. The last one is imitate Jesus in his sacrificial actions. In ver, or chapter 5, verse 20, says, it says, Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, this is where it gets into the marriage verses. Okay, you cannot do the marital verses unless you look at the rest of Ephesians. You have to know how to live and whose authority you're under. You need to be surrendered to that authority. And once you've surrendered to that authority, you're growing in Christ and the unity of the church and body. And then when we're walking as Jesus walked, then we, it is easy to submit to one another. Now we'll look at verse 22 and we see that the wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. 
One verse, simple, right? And then we get the grocery basket out and we just keep dumping. And this is the guy's verses, right? We get like five or six of them. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, submitting to your husband should be easy if your husband is submitting to the Lord. And you need to ask yourself, especially if you're single, if you're, someone's pursuing you, are they submitting to the Lord? No, then you need to break off that relationship if it's getting serious enough to get into marriage. Or they need to seriously consider your Lord and Savior because that's the only way that you're going to have freedom in Christ. Okay? So notice, woman, you get one verse, guys, we get a grocery list. We need to love our wife sacrificially. We need to make her holy and clean. Pursuing holiness together has to be a priority. Okay, what's holiness? It's a life without sin. It's separation from sin. And how can we sharpen one another and cleanse us when we uh, surrender to our sin instead of the Lord? We can ask for forgiveness, right? We can ask for forgiveness of one another. We can ask for forgiveness from our Heavenly Father and pursue holiness together. Study God's word together and know it. Um, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So a wife and a husband sharpen one another. Discuss the Bible together. Set that example for your kids at the dinner table. Love and respect your wife. Okay? They, a lot of times they say men desire our wives' respect. Women desire to be loved. Okay? Both are needed in both relationships, right? I, I need my wife's love and her respect. She needs my respect and my love. Okay? So we don't go to uh, our little... We don't go down to the Legion and talk bad about our husband. We don't go to uh, the fish fry and talk bad about our wife. We don't go... Uh, fix our car in the, in the garage with our buddies and, and say how bad we got it with our marital relationship. We don't do that. We chose them. Okay. Not only does it make your wife look bad, it makes you look like an idiot. Okay. Think about that. You're the one that chose her and you're talking bad about her. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're making yourself look like a fool. Okay. So stop doing that if you're doing that. Our wife is not property. It's not something that we own. It's not, she's not a servant um, unless she chooses to be. Okay? Love requires sacrificial action. If, if we have a good marital relationship, one is serving the other. And it's like leaning on each other to keep your head out of the water. If you push on her, she pushes on you, and you stay up and keep your head out of the water. A little Forrest Gump uh, analogy there for you. He does it with Bubba. It's same in, in uh, marital relationship. Guys, your wife is a reflection of you. It says that in Ephesians. She is a reflection of you. If she is a wonderful, glorious person, it's because she is reflecting the glory that you poured into her. And likewise, I think the other way around. And that's important. A man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. That's Ephesians 
A man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Now, you may have heard it say that I can't learn to love others unless I learn how to love myself first. Well, I submit to you in this case, if you learn to love especially your spouse, you will show love to yourself. You will learn how to love yourself. Okay? I, I think that's a worldly thing to say. you got to learn how to love yourself before you can love others. That is selfishness 101 right there, in my opinion. Um, is it important to love yourself? Yes, but it's out of reflection of that love for God and a love for your mate. When we are walking surrendered in the Lord in obedience to uh, surrendered to the Lord in obedience to do we have we have the freedom of Christ's salvation I don't know I just messed that all up it's on your bulletin <laughs> Genesis chapter 16 9 through 16 let's finish the, the chapter and hopefully I can read this better than I just did that the angel of the Lord said to her return to your mistress, mistress. This, he's talking to Hagar and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man and untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fists against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Isn't that so true today? Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who hears me. Um, Elroy, I believe is that how you say that. She also said, you have... I have truly, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bear Eli Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. It can, it can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Okay, that's 10 years after the promise. And we know he gave birth to Isaac when he was 100, so it's, it's 14 years before that. But now we're going to focus on Hagar. I kind of feel like she was used a little bit in this situation. And God is the God of the brokenhearted. He will no you will notice that the angel of the Lord is on the scene. And when, as man tries to veer off the path that God has established, the Lord steps in and directs, redirects and establishes his covenant as needed. Did he not bless Abram with his descendants? Well, that blessing extends to each child that he has. In God's true design, I would probably say that he was only supposed to have one wife and one uh, child. I don't know that for sure because I'm not God. Um, but ideally, it would have went a lot better for the world if that would have happened. Because many of the nations that are established today uh, come out of Ishmael. They come out of this uh, second and third wife that Abraham had. 
And he gives Hagar a hard command to handle. He says, go back into your situation. Go back into the pain and suffering. Go back to where you are the servant. I hear your cry, but you're supposed to go back. And it's sad because if you look at her name and you look at what it means in Hebrew, you know what it means? It means to flee. Maybe she ran away from some situation in Egypt. Maybe she's running away now. But she's been in this situation for quite some time. And part of it was because she brought it upon herself a little bit. But part of it is because uh, Sarah just didn't want her around. Because it, it shows that maybe that she was maybe the problem and not Abram when it came to childbearing. That's a hard, hard for anyone that's, that's struggled with infertility and things like that. But she finds a God who hears her, Hagar does. It's not even part of his plan, but he comes in and, and makes her part of the plan. And he redirects her back to where she needs to be. Who knows what would happen if, if she wasn't under um, their authority and, and learned a little bit about the Lord. Could have had uh, Isaac been wiped out way sooner or something to that effect. We have a God who hears each one of us. If you look at Psalms 34, 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. David would know this. He's been rescued several times from the Lord. Take courage, my friend. Isaiah 41.10 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You see, a lot of times when there is marital conflict and the one that disrupted the marriage the man usually commits adultery not all the time sometimes the one that the third party that the adultery is committed with a lot of times they are scrapped in that situation god is there to pick them up to lift them up and god can forgive that act as well right he can forgive because he's amazing so think about this when it comes to Hagar, to the mother of 12 nations that will persecute Israel for the rest of history. He is watching over her, and he has heard her broken heart. She is in exile, and God restores her in the most unusual way. Return to your persecutor. Wow. I'd like to tell you that it all works out for Hagar, but... Her suffering's not over, and we'll see. Her, we'll pick up her story again in, in chapter 21. She'll be back. In the meantime, God has given her a great blessing in the suffering. You are going to be a mother to a child. It's going to be a mother to many nations. In verse 12, the son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a, a wild donkey. He will raise his fists against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Okay, we see that. We see it happen in the Bible. And we see it today even in the Middle East. What are we going to take away from this? We can look at this in two different ways if we're in a Hagar's shoes. 
well, it's all your fault, God. It's all your fault. You allowed this to happen. If you would have stepped in, this would have never happened. And she would probably be right. Or are we able to see that God is able to bless those even in suffering? God can bless us even while we are in suffering. He hears our cries and he watches over those who cry out to him with broken hearted. He extends his grace to all, but he has chosen Israel, which comes out of the line of Isaac, which we'll hear here in a little bit. Jacob's name gets turned to Israel, okay? Please prepare yourself for the unusual answer to your prayers. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to I'm going to fulfill my offering to you, but it's going to come with some suffering. And in your lifetime, you're going to see suffering, but maybe in your kids or your grandkids' life, you're going to see the fulfillment of this. And in Hagar's case, we see it for generations it being fulfilled. Finally, we see Abraham was 86 years old. This is 10 years older than his covenant from last week. And 14, 14 to go from the birth of Isaac. Eight is the number that we see keep coming up over and over and over again. That's the third major story that's come up in. It's a story of new beginnings. The covenant has been shifted in, in a sense. Now you're going to have some opposition in your covenant. Um, but we see the six, which is man's number. It's also the, man, the number of grace. And God is going to pour out his grace on the people of Israel and rescue them from uh, their relatives as well. We must remember that the decisions that we make affect more than just ourselves. When Sarai and Abram were having the spat, Hagar got thrown in the middle of it, and she's the one that suffered just as much as either one of those two. Suffering begets suffering. They caused a lot of heartache. When Sarai said you could have her as your wife, and then in a sense reneges on that, and Abram puts her back as a servant... That wasn't fair to Hagar. She should have had an equal share, or nearly equal. This could have been avoided, and if there was much more direct communication from the start. If she would have got that two by four out, and whacked him over the head and said that was the wrong answer, um, many, many sufferings down the line could have been avoided. Only when we were taught when we are walking surrendered to the Lord in obedience, do we have the freedom of Christ's salvation? Amen. Let's pray. Elders, why don't you come forward so we can serve communion. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. But draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a disciple or a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, who makes disciples, who makes more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for your kind attention.